Well, good morning. <clears throat> or good evening. It's giving you guys a hard time. How, how are you guys this evening? Good, good, good. You seem excited. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? All right. Uh, oh, <clears throat> excuse me. Open up your Bibles. We're going to dive into the book of John chapter 20. We're going to take a break from Luke. <clears throat> We're going to go into John chapter 20 this evening. John chapter 20. And I want to look at, <clears throat> I want to look at the scene in John chapter 20. I had gotten into this chapter kind of actually by accident. Uh, I'd been sitting at a Chick-fil-A and I was just reading through and I read through John chapter 20 and it was one of those moments where God just hit me with the word and it transformed me and changed me so I had to stand up and I had to preach it. You ever had those moments? Yeah? So a lot of times I, I, I read through the book of Luke, I saturate in the book of Luke because I just enjoy the book of Luke, but it was one of those moments that transformed me so, so I had to stand and preach it. So I want to look at this story with you and we're going to cover, we're going to cover uh, 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 three sections of the scripture and we'll start in verse 11. And we're going to look at the story of Mary Magdalene, and then we're going to look at the story of the disciples, and then we're going to look at the story of Thomas, okay? So we're going to talk about three different sections in John chapter 20. So listen to what it says. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot, they asked him, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. <clears throat> At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary... Jesus turned toward him and cried, or she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have yet not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had seen these things to her. Verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus, we come tonight and we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Jesus, that we want more and more of you. Jesus, we are in a posture of seeking. Jesus, we are in a posture. We have not arrived, but we're asking, Father, by the power of your spirit that you would go into the inner rooms of our life and you would begin to transform and look at the rooms of our heart. I pray, Jesus, that you would come through the power of your spirit and you would go into the rooms that no one else knows about, just you and I. And I, bring that you, I pray, God, that you would bring transformation and healing and life in those rooms. I thank you, Jesus, that when you walk into the room, the atmosphere shifts and everything changes in the room. And so I pray, Jesus, tonight that you would come and, Jesus, that you would begin to heal our hearts so that our hearts could be whole. I pray, Father, that you'd bind up the brokenhearted. I pray that you would bind up those who are emotionally hurt. 
I pray, Father, that you'd reach into our souls and you'd begin to bring about soul wound healing. Because, Jesus, you have the ability to do that. You stood in Nazareth and you said you have sent and you have come to bind up the brokenhearted. So, Jesus, would you piece us back together? And, Jesus, would you make us whole? Would you make us new? And would you make us the sons and daughters of God that you've dreamed us to be? Oh, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for what you're going to do tonight. In your name I pray, amen. Well, the writer of the book of John is? John, very good. It's not Luke, okay? The writer of the book of John is John. This is not John the Baptist that we've been talking about. This is actually John, the beloved. Jesus called him the beloved because John, now think about this. John took the posture of reclining with Jesus and literally leaning into Jesus' chest. And so Jesus called him the beloved or the one that loved Jesus. Don't you want that in your life? What would it look like for Jesus to call you the beloved? What would it look like for your life to come into a place that you have a posture of leaning into Jesus' chest and hearing Jesus' heartbeat? Gets you excited, doesn't it? Okay, so John chapter 20, we're diving into the book of John. We're diving into the end of the book of John. A lot of things have happened in the book of John. Uh, John is really all about uh, these signs and wonders. These people want signs and wonders. And, and, and Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus keeps saying, hey, I, I'm here on my father's mission. I'm here on my father's work. As a matter of fact, I don't do anything except what I hear uh, my father doing. I don't say anything except what I hear my father saying. So everything Jesus did, was a direct result of this intimacy with his father. Now, what we're diving into is we're diving into the crucifixion scene or the post-resurrection scene. Now, we know in verse 19, or chapter 19, there's the actual death of Jesus. We know this is traumatic for the disciples because you understand the disciples had literally given their life to Jesus. They had given everything Remember Peter, Luke chapter 5, Peter leaves everything on the shore. He's a fisherman. He leaves everything on the shore. He goes and follows Jesus. All the disciples were that way. We know there was women who actually followed Jesus. There was a quite large group, Luke tells us, a large group of women, they think 120 of them, that were following Jesus, especially Mary Magdalene, because Mary Magdalene used to be a prostitute, but Jesus came, he cast seven demons out of her, transformed her life. that'll happen right when the enemy loses a stronghold and Jesus becomes her savior so she literally gives everything away and she follows after Jesus so we know that the the death of Jesus has just happened so they beg for the body which is really interesting because the timeline of the whole thing they're actually in a crunch to Sabbath day because the Sabbath day was actually Friday night to Saturday night. So they were literally in a crunch for Sabbath day. So they had to get the body buried. They had to get the body wrapped. They had to get the perfume and all the spices and everything on the body. So they're in this major crunch to get it done before the sundown of the Sabbath day that starts. So they're in this major crunch. They bury Jesus. They put him in the tomb. Well, chapter 20 Three days later, 
Notice what happens, chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. Isn't it interesting? The one who's seeking after Jesus is Mary Magdalene. Isn't that interesting? See, the one who shows up first at the tomb is the one that God radically set free. See, I contend if God radically sets you free from something, you'll seek after him. See, show me the guy who's been addicted to drugs. When he gets set free from drugs, man, he is the one who's on the front row, man. He is the one saying, God, I need you. He is the one who's radically dependent upon God because he knows where his life had been. And so Mary Magdalene is the one who's seeking after Jesus, so she shows up at the tomb. Now, you have to realize she's probably been in three days of grief. She's been in three days of mourning. She's been in three days of weeping because Jesus has died. They don't understand everything that's happening. Their teacher, their rabbi has died. So she shows up there. She comes. The tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. She immediately runs to Peter and the disciples and says, listen, the stone has been rolled away. Now you have to understand this is a fairly large stone. One person, two people, probably three or four people are not gonna be able to move this stone. It's a big, big stone. So they know that this is a big deal that the stone has been moved. So they're fearing the worst that someone has now come and stolen Jesus's body. Now, it's not bad enough that Jesus has died. It's not bad enough that the Jewish leaders have crucified their Messiah, who they have crucified their rabbi. They have crucified their teacher. Uh, Mary Magdalene is the one who's been set free from Jesus, but now she's standing off in the cross scene. She watches him die on a cross. She grabs his body. The last thing she can do is take care of his body. She puts it in the tomb. The stone comes. Now, someone has stolen the body of Jesus. That's their thought. So Peter and John show up at the tomb. The linens are lying there. The cloths are lying there. Notice what it says, verse 8. Finally, the other disciples had reached the tomb first. We all went inside. They saw and believed, but they did not understand the scriptures that Jesus had risen from the dead. So probably what they believed is they believed that someone else had actually stolen the body. So you got to catch this. So they leave, they take off. Now notice what happens in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. Now again, you remember Mary's backstory. She was a prostitute. Many commentators think that she was the one who came and broke the jar of oil and poured it over the, the, or the perfume over the feet of Jesus. You remember that story? Many people think that was Mary Magdalene, literally where she took her, her hair and she humbled herself at the feet of Jesus and poured perfume over his feet and literally took her hair and washed and, and wiped off the feet of Jesus. Many believe that this was Mary Magdalene who was the prostitute. Many believe this was Mary Magdalene where God came and set those demons free from her. This was a radical Mary Magdalene. So she did not have anything to go back to. See, Peter had the ability to go back to fishing. But Mary Magdalene could not go back to prostitution because she knew what prostitution had led to. 
And so Mary Magdalene is standing at the tomb, and Mary Magdalene is crying. Now, this is probably not just grief. This is probably overwhelming grief. See, this is not just grief. There's probably some depression in there. See, this is not just, well, I'm, I, I, I am, uh, I'm weeping for someone who died. Do you understand? Mary Magdalene has literally given her life to her teacher. She has literally left all. She has taken all her money. She broke it over his feet. She has nothing left, and her teacher died, and the dreams that she had for Jesus and who Jesus was going to be, the risen Messiah, the Savior, all that had been crushed at the crucifixion. And so now Mary Magdalene is at the tomb and Mary Magdalene has been crushed. Mary Magdalene is broken. Mary Magdalene is probably struggling in that moment. So she's weeping, she's crying, she's stooped over. Can you see her? She's stooped over, she's discouraged, she's disheartened. Her heart has been broken and shattered into millions of pieces because her dreams have been broken. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a point in your life where your dreams have been shattered? Have you ever been to a point of your life where maybe you put faith into someone only for them to let you down? That's Mary Magdalene. And so Mary Magdalene is stooped over. Can you feel the weight? Can you feel the grief? Can you feel the darkness? She stooped over and she's looking into the tomb and she's crying, she's weeping. Her dreams have been shattered. Everything she has put her trust to, trust in is gone. And now someone has come and desecrated the body of the teacher. All she had left was his body. All she had left was the body of her teacher. And now someone has come and stolen even that. Man, that's Mary Magdalene. And so notice what happens in the story. She wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. So could you imagine Mary Magdalene in grief, Mary Magdalene in the darkness, Mary Magdalene, her dreams have been shattered, Mary Magdalene, she has put her faith in the Messiah, he is gone now, Mary Magdalene, all the weight of the world is upon her, she's discouraged, pride, depressed, anxiety, doubt, unbelief, all this is overwhelming her, but she's still the only one at the scene. Even despite all that, her last effort is to go and be near the body of Jesus because she believed in Jesus so much. And so there she is, the grief, weeping. She looks into the tomb. All of a sudden, she sees two angels in white, one at the head, one at the, at, at the feet. And what do the angels say? Why are you crying? Well, come on, folks. That's a dumb question, isn't it? I mean, if God or if the angels are asking, 
If the angels are asking Mary Magdalene why she's crying, well, that's a really dumb question. Why? Because Jesus has died. Her dreams have died. Everything's been shattered. She's overwhelmed with grief. She's overwhelmed with darkness. She's overwhelmed in this moment. Why would the angels ask that question? So they say, why are you crying? And notice what she says. They have taken my Lord away. So at this moment, she does not believe Jesus has risen. In this moment, she does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In this moment, she doesn't believe the prophecies that Jesus said that he was going to die and three days raise again. What she believes is someone has now come and desecrated the body. The only thing she had left, the only thing she put her heart into, literally had been taken away from her. And so she says, man... My Lord has been taken away. I mean, could it get any worse? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a time in your life where you were overwhelmed? Have you ever had a time in your life where you're overwhelmed with grief? Have you ever had a time in your life where maybe you put your faith into something to watch it go away? Have you ever had a time in your life where your dreams have been shattered? That's Mary Magdalene. And now the very last thing was the body of Jesus, and that's been taken away. Now notice what happens. She says, I don't know where they have put him. Verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. So Mary Magdalene, you got to get this picture. Mary Magdalene, what is she focused on? She's focused on death. What is she focused on? She's focused on the grief. What is she focused on? She's focused on the anxiety. What is she focused on? She's focused on an empty tomb. She's focused on death. She's focused on the shattered dreams into her life. Her focus is over here. All that is weighing her down. Her eyes are here. Jesus comes up behind her. And she turns around and she sees someone in the distance. Now we know that Jesus is off in the distance because she doesn't recognize Jesus right away. So Jesus is off in the distance. So literally her focus has been over here. Jesus comes into the garden and she senses someone's there. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sensed when someone walks into the room? Did you know cops have that sense? I had a friend who was a cop. And he said, man... He said, there's actually a sense when you know you're about ready to get in a fight. He said, when you go into a warehouse and you have your drawn, you're gone drawn, you actually can feel it, that something's inside. So you understand that Mary is looking this way. Jesus walks up behind her and she senses that someone has just come. She turns around, she looks at Jesus and notice what she says. Sir, thinking he was the gardener, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Oh, look at your neighbor and say, Mary. Mary. Look at your other neighbor and say, Jesus calls your name. Now listen. Get the scene. Mary Magdalene, overwhelmed with grief, 
overwhelmed with burdens, overwhelmed with the shatteredness of the dreams, looking into the tomb, looking at death, giving up hope. Jesus walks up behind her. All of a sudden, she senses his presence. She turns around, thinking he's the gardener. He says, sir, if you carried his body, give me his body back at least. And Jesus, in the moment of where she is in the grief, in the distress, in the shattered dreams, in the depression, in the anxiety, in all the brokenness, Jesus walks where she is and Jesus calls her name. Woo! That is good news for you! Why? It doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what you're focused on. When Jesus comes and Jesus calls your name, everything changes. You didn't get that yet, but we're going to get there. Now notice what happens. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Do you realize in that moment when Jesus comes back, in that moment, everything changes. All the dreams, all the shattered, the weeping, the grieving, the depression, it all goes away in the moment when Jesus comes into the room and Jesus calls her name and says, Mary, that changes and transforms all of it. What I want to tell you is when Jesus comes into those moments of our life, he transforms and changes it. See, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're focused on, when Jesus walks in, when Jesus comes in, it transforms and changes where you are. And what you've been focused on will not be what you're focused on anymore. You'll be transformed when Jesus comes in. And so she turns around and she says, teacher, And she runs a hold of him and grabs a hold of him. And Jesus says, get off of me. Well, no, he didn't say that. But what does he say? Verse 17. Do not hold on to me, for I have yet not ascended to the Father, but go instead to my, what? Brothers. And tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She told them that he has said these things to her. So you got to see Mary Magdalene, overwhelmed with discouragement, overwhelmed with weeping, overwhelmed with guilt, overwhelmed with depression, overwhelmed with the shattered, broken dreams. Jesus walks into the garden, calls her name. It all changes in an instant. You need more coffee. Okay. Verse 19, next room. Notice what happens next. Listen to this. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked because of what? Fear of the Jews. Oh, you got to get the scene. The disciples are after Jesus has died. They just found out someone stole his body. So the disciples gather together and have a meeting. 
And what's the meeting all about? The meeting is, hey, the Jewish people are coming for us. And so the disciples decide that they're going to go into a room. But you have to understand, it's not just any ordinary room. This is a room that has not been publicly announced. See, this is a room that they did not put on Facebook, meet here. See, they didn't check in at the room, okay? That connotation is they decided to have a secret meeting. Why? Because they're fearing for their lives because someone has stolen the body and now the Jewish people are angry and the Jewish people want to kill them. And so the disciples are huddled into a room and the connotation is that the doors are shut. The doors are shut. The doors are locked. The shades are pulled. Just like we have right here. Everything is hunkered down. They don't even turn on the lights. Why? Because they're scared if they turn on the lights, the Jewish people will know that they are. So the disciples, you got to get this, the disciples after the death of Jesus are huddled into the room and they're huddled into the room because of fear. Fear does interesting things to you, doesn't it? So they're huddled in this room because of fear. Shades are drawn, doors are are closed, locked up, barred. Everybody's huddled there. They're all in fear. And notice what happens. Jesus came and stood among them. (laughs) Now, wait a second. How did Jesus get into the room? First of all, how did Jesus know where the room is? See, how? well, I mean, he's the Savior, obviously. But how does Jesus know where they're meeting? Not only does he know where they're meeting, but Jesus comes into the room. We don't know how he gets in. Doors are locked, bars are closed, they're locked tight, windows are drawn, they're all huddled together for fear, and Jesus comes and stands in the room where the disciples are huddled together in fear. Jesus comes into the room and stands. And notice what happens. And he says to them, peace be with you. Well, you understand, and we've been talking about this this week, that before Jesus comes into the room, now you got to get this, before Jesus comes into the room, there's an atmosphere of fear. There's an atmosphere of lockdown. There's an atmosphere of no one's getting in here. There's an atmosphere of something being hidden, the disciples. There's this atmosphere of fear in the room. But Jesus walks into the room. We don't know how he got there. We don't know who invited him. We don't know how he got into the room. And when Jesus comes into the room where they're huddled down, they're locked down, they're hidden, Living in fear, Jesus walks into that room and all of a sudden the atmosphere shifts because Jesus is peace. And Jesus says, peace be with you. And when Jesus walks into the room because of fear, 
the whole atmosphere of the room begins to shift and peace comes into the room. And notice what he says. After this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed. Do you realize, oh, you gotta get this. Come on, Jesus, help us. You gotta press in. Look at your neighbor and say, you gotta press in. Oh, no, you gotta look at your neighbor and say, you gotta press in. No, 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 really, look at your neighbor and say, you gotta press in. Come on. The enemy doesn't want you to get this tonight. He don't want you to get this. I'm telling you, he doesn't want you to get this tonight. So he's distracting us, right? He's distracting us. Press in. Look at your neighbor say, focus. Look at your other neighbor say, this is for you. Look at your other neighbor say, this is good news. All right, good. You're ready. It's Monday night, okay? Now listen. Jesus walks into the room. There's fear. There's hiddenness. They're all locked in the room. Jesus comes into the room. He brings peace and he brings joy to them. They realize, oh, the Messiah is risen. Jesus is here. All our problems are going to go away. Everything that we were fearful of goes away, and they literally embrace Jesus, and peace and joy come into the room wherever Jesus is. And notice what he says. This is so interesting. Verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So Jesus comes into the room. He gets rid of all fear. He gets rid of all anxiety. He gets rid of all doubt. He gets rid of all, uh, all worry. And he fills them. He brings peace. And he fills them with joy. And then he says, listen, as I have come to you, I am sending you out. And I am sending you out with peace. And then he says this. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the spirit. If you forgive anyone's sin, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So Jesus comes. He literally walks into the room, brings peace, fills the disciples with joy. He breathes on them. They receive the spirit. He says, listen, go. And if you forgive anybody, they're forgiven. And he sends the disciples out of the room. Now, let me ask you a question. At the start, they were hidden. They were in fear. They were in bondage, anxiety, doubt. But when Jesus comes in the room, all that shifts, all that changes. They're filled with joy. They're filled with peace. They have, they have received the spirit and they're sent out to set other people free. Third story. You're getting it. You're getting it, I think. Third story, verse 24. Now Thomas, listen to this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the 12. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. Who is Thomas? What's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. How would you like to have that nickname? 
That's terrible, isn't it? I mean, he doubted Jesus one time. And for the rest of scriptures, and for 2,000 years, we've called him Doubting Thomas. We don't know him as Thomas of Didymus, right? We know him as Doubting Thomas. Now notice what happens. Verse 26, you gotta see this. A week later, come on, Jesus, help us. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. (laughs) And Thomas was with them. Now think about this. Seven days ago, they had an encounter with Jesus where he showed up in their room. No one invited him. Not even sure how he got in the room. Not even sure how he knew the address. But when he came in the room, he transformed their room, filled them with peace and joy, breathed on them, and set them out. Seven days later, they're back locked up in the same room. Isn't that interesting? And notice what it says. Verse 26. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. So now, listen, what is the atmosphere of the room a second time? Well, a second time, when they're huddled in the room, they're not huddled just for fear, but they're actually huddled because Thomas is with them, and Thomas is a doubter. And Thomas's doubt creates an atmosphere in Thomas's life And that atmosphere begins to affect the entire disciples. And now the disciples are back in the room and the disciples are now doubting just like Thomas. See that? And so now they're locked in the room and they have doubt and they have fear and they have forgotten what Jesus did for them a week ago. And notice what happens. Jesus came and stood among them. So once again, Jesus walks into the room and he stands and he declares, peace be with you. And he stands among them and then he says this. He looks at Thomas and he says, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my Side, stop doubting and believe. Do you realize doubt will kill belief? Every time. If you entertain seeds of doubt, there will be a tree of unbelief that grows up in your life. And when unbelief grows up in your life, Jesus has to come and cut that thing down. And it all comes from seeds of doubt. And there was one guy named Thomas who was a doubter, and because he doubted what Jesus did a week ago because he wasn't there, he literally began to affect the atmosphere of the disciples, and he affected the atmosphere of the room, and so now they're huddled again together in doubt. Jesus walks in the room, says, peace be with you. He's not giving us peace. He is peace. And when Jesus walks into the room, he releases peace because peace is inside of him and it's who he is. 
And so he comes to Thomas and says, listen, you've got to stop doubting and you've got to believe because if you continue to live with doubt, it will grow up into a tree of unbelief in your life. And so he says, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. And so Jesus walks into Thomas's life. He walks into Thomas's room where all the disciples are gathered together because of doubt and unbelief. And Jesus comes in the room and begins to transform the room of Thomas and the disciples. And Jesus gets rid of doubt because it's hard to doubt when Jesus is standing in the room. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you and I? Do you realize that this is a picture of what we go through in our lives? Do you realize we're just like the disciples? Shake your head. What's the number one thing that stops you from evangelizing your world? Fear. Oh, you live in fear just like the disciples, right? And it might not just be fear. It could be fear of man. What stops you from coming and responding to the voice of God? Well, fear. Well, what will people think? That's fear. See, what stops you from responding to the voice of God? Fear. Fear is killing and crippling the church. What stops us from winning our neighbor? Fear. What will he think of us? Do you realize we are just like the disciples? We're huddled together in fear. But aren't you glad that Jesus comes and Jesus knows exactly where in your life you're living in fear and Jesus comes into that room and Jesus wants to release himself and what he's telling us is he says listen don't look at the circumstance like Mary Magdalene don't look at the circumstance don't look at the over thing that's overwhelming don't look at the circumstances of your life don't look at the dream that's been shattered look to me recognize that I am here with you. I am peace. You don't have to focus on the death. You can focus on the life. And when you're with Jesus, it doesn't matter because all that stuff has to go away. And you understand the second room is fear. Fear cripples us. Cripples us. Because why don't we walk in freedom? Well, we're afraid of man. Well, why don't we walk in, in authority in life? Why don't we see? Why aren't we filled with joy? Because we got things hidden in our lives. Just like the disciples. And you realize that these rooms are literally pictures of your heart. And there are areas of our heart that we live in fear. There's areas of our life where we live thinking our circumstance or our dream or the situation is bigger than Jesus, just like Mary Magdalene. 
There's areas of our life where we live in doubt. And in our heart, we have areas of our life where we're living in doubt, and we say, well, God really can't do that. But do you realize what happens in your life when Jesus walks into that room of your life? And when Jesus walks into that room of your life and he begins to heal that room of your life, he begins to transform that room of your life. When he begins to heal it and he begins to release peace and joy in that area of your life, whatever room that is, God gives you authority and power to set other people free. But the reason we're not setting other people free is because we're just like the disciples. We're huddled together, living in fear. We're huddled together, living in doubt. We're huddled together, living in unbelief. But I want to tell you, Jesus wants to come into the rooms of your life, and Jesus wants to bring healing. Look at your neighbor and say, do you believe that? Let me give you two examples. In the last month of healing. See, I call this inner healing because this is a picture of your heart. And I don't care who you are. Sin affects us. And the choices of our past affect our present. And the things that people have done to affect us. And there's generational iniquities and curses and patterns. I've watched it over and over. See, I've watched people struggle with patterns and go through the same thing over and over and over. And until Jesus walks into that room of their heart and transforms and changes that room, they go through the same pattern over and over and over. That there's people who live in constant anxiety, constant doubt, constant fear. There's people who live with sickness. Why? It's all in the inner rooms of their heart, man. They're huddled down in fear because a lot of times there's an area of our heart heart that if we reveal it, we don't want anybody to know about it. So the enemy has legal ground in our lives and he keeps us hidden and he keeps us tormented and he keeps us complacent and apathetic and uneffective in our world because we have these areas of our life. I want to give you two examples of this. I, uh, this, this, this last month, I had a young man who's having migraines. And it was, I, we show up at the church and all of a sudden he starts getting these migraines. And these migraines are so bad that these migraines literally cause his head to whoosh. And what happens is his, his blood vessels restrict and what he was doing is he was blanking for eight years. So he was losing eight years of his life and he was resetting to eight years ago. And so his wife said he'd wake up and he'd walk into the closet because he thought it was a hallway. And he's actually my friend, so I, I kind of tease him. But it was a hallway. And he walks into the closet and he would say, listen, I don't, I don't know where I'm at. And he said, why aren't we in West Virginia? And he's supposed to be in Tennessee. And so his wife gets into a panic because she realizes he's lost his memory. He doesn't know who he is. And so she would rush him to the hospital and the hospital would take brain scan after brain scan after brain scan. And it was hilarious because it happened on a Sunday morning. Now listen to this, this is funny. 
He's my, he's my good friend. So it happens on Sunday morning, and I'm preaching at, at a church where they have live stream. And so she has it, and she's trying to get, she's trying to figure out his memory. And so she's asking him, she's saying, hey, do you remember this person? Do you remember the worship pastor? Do you and he's like, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. And so I'm preaching, and she said, well, do you remember Chad? Do you remember him? And he looks, and he's watching me preach. And it was funny, because Joel Olstein was on the TV above. And he's like, no, I don't remember him, but I like him better. (laughs) So now I text him pictures of Joel Osteen. And now every once in a while, I'll walk up to him and I'll be like, hey, I'm Joel Osteen, just visiting. I'm from Texas. Anyways. So he has these headaches. He has them for two months. I go to the doctor, physical thing, can't figure out what's wrong with him. So I said, hey, man, can me and my wife come over and just pray for you? And can we lead you through some inner healing in your heart? He said, sure. So we come over to his house. We spend three or four hours just walking with the spirit through the inner healing of his heart. And the spirit begins to reveal rooms in his life that are hidden or he's living in fear and he begins to confess those areas because folks you understand John had it right when we confess and repent and we bring things into the light it immediately breaks legal ground and the enemy can't be there because you understand you're already forgiven it is finished that happened on the cross so it's not like you can come tonight and you can come and say, well, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. So you come to an altar, you bump your head on an altar and you pray to God and, and you say, Jesus, forgive me. And God says, whoo, finally he came. I'm ready to forgive him. Oh, I forgive you. No, you understand it is already a spiritual reality in the heavenly realms. You are forgiven. But when you confess it with your mouth, what you are doing is you are coming into agreement with the heavenly realms And you're telling the enemy, I'm coming into a greater agreement with the heavenly realms. I am truly forgiven. I confess and repent of this. So he literally, it's a beautiful thing. The spirit starts taking him through rooms of his life. Doubt, unbelief, areas of his life. Three or four or five hours. Jesus, spirit of God's there, man. Walks through the rooms of his life. And I'm telling you, when Jesus comes to the room, Everything transforms. We finish up after three or four hours. We say a closing prayer. We walk out the door. I said, man, how you doing? I'll call him the next day. How you doing? He said, you got to tell someone about that. He said, because I've never felt anything like that in my life. And he said, Chad, I haven't had a headache since. And he still hasn't had a headache three months later. God healed him, healed him. Oh, I got to tell you about the girl who when she came into service, she'd have a seizure. And as I'm preaching, she would literally just pass out on the front row. Her eyes would roll back in her head and she'd start seizing, called pseudo seizures. Again, they take her for two months, run brain scans on her, say, nothing wrong with you. We come to her, we say, hey, listen, we would love to walk through healing in your heart. And we would love to allow Jesus to come into the rooms of your life. 
and begin to bring healing and to literally take your broken heart and begin to bind it back together. We walked her through nine hours. At the end of the nine hours, no more seizures. Why? Because there was areas of her life where she was living in fear. There was areas of her life where she was hidden. There was areas of her life where, where she was living in bondage in a room. Folks, you understand, it's not just them. That's all of us. And when you allow Jesus to come into an area of your life, see, I, I went through two, two radical experiences. On 9-12-2017, God came to me in the camper as I'm weeping and crying on the floor. Jesus opened up a room in my life where I'd been living out of an area and I'd been responding to an area for, for, for all my life, man, because I want more of him. I'm seeking, I'm hungry. So, so I'm on my face and I'm weeping before him and Jesus comes into the bus, man, and he begin, literally begins to do a work in me and radically sets me free because he comes into the, a room of my life and literally opens it up and exposes it and he brings peace and joy and healing in that room. 9 12, 2017, he did that. And then in 222 of 2018, he came back into a room of my life. And there was an area of my life that I'd been living in a pattern all my life. I've been living in a pattern because there had been something that was coming after me all my life that the enemy had literally made an assignment against my life and he had literally hounded me with this all my life. The spirit of rejection came after me all my life. 222, 2018, God begins to come into a room. He begins to heal the inner places of my heart. Fear begins to go. Doubt begins to go. Unbelief begins to go. He begins to deal with patterns in my life. I begin to confess and repent. And in a moment, God sets me radically free from rejection that followed me all my life. What do you think he wants to do in you? Because you understand every room that you allow God to go into and bring healing, that's a room that you have authority. And God will use you to set other people free. So I have keys to rejection. And when I find someone who struggles with rejection, I have the ability through the power of the Spirit, because I've been radically set free from it, I have the ability through the power of the Spirit, through Jesus, that when I lay hands on them, God, uh, and lay hands on them, God sets them radically free, and God heals their heart. So everything, the enemies try to come up against you, every area of your life where you're living in fear, where you're living hidden, Jesus wants to come, walk into that room. He wants to throw open the curtains. He wants to throw open the doors. He wants to bring peace, healing, and joy in that room. And sometimes, folks, it's not easy. Why? Because the reason those rooms are closed is because there's wounds. There's hurts. There's deep stuff. And when our hearts get wounded, we put up walls. When our hearts get wounded, we, we segment our hearts and we lock down areas of our heart. And when that happens, we begin to live in fear. We begin to live in bondage. We live to give in hidden. And the enemy comes and he parks in that area of our heart. And literally that area of our heart is broken. 
But Jesus said, I come to bind up the brokenhearted. I will never forget this. I was in North Dakota, man. I was in the midst of revival. I preached a sermon very similar to this. This lady, 70 years old, sits down in a prayer chair, man. I sit down with her. Jesus comes into the room. He begins to lead her through healing rooms of her heart, man. He begins to talk to her about her heart. He takes her all the way back into this area of her heart, man, where she was locked down, hidden in fear. And there was something that happened to her way back ago that God came and God healed her and radically set her free. She lived with it for 70 years in bondage and fear. See, we don't have to live with that stuff. Why? Jesus wants to come into the rooms of our heart. Jesus wants to come and Jesus wants to radically set us free. And then he wants to give you authority and he wants to breathe on you so that you can go out there and you can set other people free. But the question is, will you allow him to do it in you? Will you allow Jesus to come into the room and will you allow him to work in that area of your heart where only you and him live? And what's cool about Jesus is It doesn't matter if you're in fear. It doesn't matter if you're in doubt. It doesn't matter how long it's been. Jesus goes and Jesus comes and Jesus stands. The disciples, one week, they were back in the same position. But Jesus is so good to us because he comes even after a week and he says, listen, I knew you had a radical encounter a week ago, but I'm coming back in and I'm gonna deal with you again because I love you and I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want you to live a life with no joy. I don't want you to live a life with no authority and power. I want you to live whole. I want you to live in holiness. I want you to live in peace. Do you think Jesus wants to do something in us? Before we can transform our city, We've got to receive healing in our hearts because the kingdom of God is all about releasing what you've received. And if you haven't received anything, you can't really release it. Pastor Amy's going to come. Jesus, man, you know where we are tonight. Man. Jesus, you know the atmosphere. You know the war. You know the distractions. You know the enemy's trying to hinder because Jesus, the enemy, doesn't want us free. But Jesus, you're bigger than the enemy. And Jesus, you want to come. And Jesus, you want to walk into our rooms. Jesus, you don't want us to live in fear. You don't want us to live in hurt. Jesus, you don't want to live us to live in bondage. You don't want us to live hidden. You don't want us to live in the same old patterns. Jesus, you want us to walk in power and authority. You want your body to walk in wholeness. You want us to live in healing and life. You don't want us to live in doubt. You don't want us to live in unbelief. You don't want us to live with circumstances that seem bigger than you, Jesus. 
And so Jesus, tonight I believe that you want to walk into this room. Jesus, I believe that you want to come into the areas of our heart. And Jesus, you want to make us whole. Jesus, would you come tonight? And Jesus, would you speak? Jesus, would you come tonight? And Jesus, would you release peace? Jesus, would you come tonight? Like only you can come. And would you begin to work on the areas of our heart that only you and I know about? Jesus, make your body whole. Make your body one. Make your body a unity in the spirit that it can flow and function under your spirit. We don't want to live in fear. We don't want to live in doubt. You say in your word, perfect love casts out fear. Jesus, you are perfect love. And would you come tonight? And would you go into those areas of our heart? Thank you, Father. Thank you for your truth tonight. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your touch. Have your way tonight, Jesus.